Hello and welcome to the Each Another podcast. My name is Tom Cunningham. I'm a senior visual designer here with Each Another and I'm joined today by my colleague Patrick Cusack. How's it going, Pat? Good, thanks, Tom. I too am a senior visual designer. Okay, today we're going to be talking about brand style guides. So I think most brands have some form of brand guidelines. A lot of our clients that we've dealt with over the years, I found, have grossly underplayed the digital aspect of their brand, of their brand guidelines. So quite often the, the digital section of the guidelines is actually covers nothing more than PowerPoint decks and a couple of things like that. But more and more now, the customer's engagement with many products and services has become cre- increasingly uh, more digital. So the, their act- interaction with the brand is that experience. Um, so I think it needs much more consideration than it currently has. What's interesting for me is any project uh, projects I've worked on recently, well, they may have a set of guidelines, but they, like you said, they don't have any digital component. So our job is to come along and deliver the digital part of their uh, product. <clears throat> but also, we often leave behind the guidelines which come out of the project that we do for them. So I think, you know, in order to deliver the guidelines, first of all, you need to establish what the rules are. And you do that by kind of doing the project first and then kind of the guidelines come from that. An interesting formula I've worked with before that I've always found useful is uh, P plus P equals B. It's very simple, but what it means is a product plus a personality equals a brand. So a lot of times the product is the same. So you have competing uh, supermarkets or competing uh, telco companies. You know, they're all very often offering the same product. So how they differentiate is by their personality. And it's a combination of their personality and the product that creates a brand. Part of the brand guidelines is to make sure that everyone buys into the personality. It's about establish a consensus that everyone agrees this is how we present ourselves. We are brand XYZ and this is how we talk about ourselves. Because other brands are talking about themselves in other ways, we need to have our own identity. And the guidelines help to define your identity and to make sure you can sort of tell when your brand is applied in ways that doesn't meet your identity uh, adequately. And the guidelines are just something you can refer back to to say, yes, that's that's who we are, or no, that's not who we are because we do this, uh, we do X, Y, Z. You can sort of tell when your brand is applied in ways that doesn't meet your identity uh, adequately. And the guidelines are just something you can refer back to to say, yes, that's that's who we are, or no, that's not who we are because we do this, uh, we do X, Y, Z. So everyone's got a similar product, but uh, we need to, brands are trading on their personalities and the guidelines help to establish what their personality is and make sure that everything you do is delivering on that personality. If everyone's kind of do, trying to do something that's very similar and, and things that look very similar, well, then it kind of homogenizes your brand with everyone else. And how do you become, how do you stay distinct? But there is this challenge in general, though, of the agencies that pick up the reins from the branding branding company and how and guidelines if they're done well can help those agencies that are applying the brand rather than creating it to deliver a better experience and it's for the benefit of the brand overall too because there's a temptation maybe for those agencies working on its application to kind of put their own stamp on it as well and i think as once they have like we said this kind of document that everyone can agree on and kind of buy into it helps just to make the the brand be applied more consistently across mm-hmm. loads of media because it's not possible for that branding agency to do all the applications. It's just you have to accept that there's a kind of ch- a hierarchy, I suppose, of, of, pe- of people working on it. But the guidelines ins- ensure consistency through all the times it goes through 
like the guys that created it versus the guys that apply it and maybe there's other subcontractors working with those guys. Mm -hmm. So it just maintain the guidelines will have to make, maintain consistency at all the levels that are all the touch points that people engage with the brand on. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I think um, through some of our digital transformation projects with more kind of our global partners that we work with, I've found more and more that you you're, there's, if you're spread out across the globe in different silos, that people have different teams have worked on different portals and different applications and quite often you can you can lay them out side by side it's, it's the same brand there's a similar type of application for example we're talking about digital here and but they can be look they can look wildly different you know they can be completely different they can they can look they can only be kind of quite often they can only be tied to the brand by the use of a similar color or something and even the shades can be off and it's just kind of the inconsistent use of typography and inconsistent use of color and from a UI perspective, inconsistent use of, you know, patterns and um, which, which dilutes the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that raises an interesting point that your brand is more than just your logo. And I think there is a tendency when certain companies create a brand that they treat their logo as this badge that they just plunk on everything. So we have to do a van. Okay, just stick the logo on it. We have to do uh, a billboard. Just stick the logo on it. And... There's much more elements that make up your brand than the logo itself. It's actually maybe less important than some people th might think. Because, you know, if you take some examples of really famous brands, very recognizable ones like O2, you know, you could conceivably cover up the O2 mark and you'd still know who it was because there's a certain tone of voice in the copy. There's a certain look they have. They certainly own the color blue. Uh, they've got that kind of very recognizable bubble imagery they use. So um, I think... Your brand is much more than your logo. It's a set of tools, a set of, that you can use to kind of deliver your personality. Or, or you know, um, so almost the test would be: can you cover up your logo and still have it recognizable? And that's what that's how your guidelines can help because it makes sure that everyone is using the consistent set of tools, not just the logo, but the typeface, the color, the tone of voice, all those things that collectively make up your brand. And your logo is really a kind of small part in that. It's it's something people often think of when they mention a brand, but it's it's not necessarily the most important. It's kind of a collective uh, of all the elements together. I think there's a slight misconception too about guidelines that it can you know stifle creativity. I think one of the issues you find when people start uh, freestyling a little bit and adding on extra elements is because they want to they want to do something uh, creative, you know, and I think there's a slight misconception just about that by following guidelines means you're stifling creativity. I don't think that's true. I think the guidelines provide you a set of limitations and you can work within those. And often it's by working within those limitations that you deliver more creative outputs. I think all the guidelines help to do is to stop ourselves having to reinvent the wheel. It's like if you have to create... Some, uh, if you have to apply the brand in some way, we've got a set of tools at our disposal that we can use. Mm -hmm. uh, they're at the ready. How we use them and, you know, in what combination and how they're assembled can vary. And also that's not only just the tools that make up our brand, but the message you're trying to deliver as well. So there's lots of scope for creativity, even within the constraints of a brand guidelines. So I wouldn't like to give the impression that by creating a set of guidelines, you're somehow stifling the creativity of the people that are kind of going to be delivering it or rolling it out for you. So what are the business benefits from uh, for having guidelines? I think one of the like a couple of the key things are it saves time. If you've got a consistent style that people can take and roll out without having to spend, you know, uh, extra time ideating and having review cycles between teams. 
And from a business point of view, you've got time savings, cost savings. I mean, the fact that everything is more consistent is obviously, obviously a plus. Uh, and you know, you've got a, a higher level of professionalism because like, you know, realistically, people who are gonna be rolling out uh, certain things they might not have a creative eye you know or they might not be they might be thinking more about numbers but if, if you have if they have the tools in place that they can just take you know templates or whatever and roll that out you can have a consistent presentation of your brand even internally or we were dealing with, with with clients with some of your collateral okay so i think we'll have a talk about breakdown you know what 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 we typically see in style guides and what we think you know what we think is important about those different sections and also what maybe what we think is is lacking in current a lot of current brand guidelines so i think all brand guidelines start with uh, a vision they start with like what is our mission statement um what some people call it a brand essence you know so what is the um you know we mentioned the p plus p equals b earlier so what's our personality uh, you know, are we conservative and premium or are we, are we colorful and vibrant? Are we, you know, so you need to kind of give a vision of what your personality is mm-hmm. and then everything you do is derived from that. So if you're a colorful, vibrant brand, uh, how you apply your typography and colors and various other elements in, is very much informed by that because maybe it's, a, you know, much louder than it might otherwise be. Or if you're a conservative, more premium, restrained brand, that's going to certainly inform how you apply stuff. So the vision your vision is really the core of everything. It's like everything you do is reinforcing that vision. So when you make decisions, it's like, is that decision backing up our vision? Mm-hmm. We're this colorful, vibrant company is what we're doing here mm-hmm. reflective of that. Yeah. So that when people see this ad on the bus stop, they need to be able to get that impression. And your vision is imparted by that uh, application alone and mm-hmm. does it come across. So your vision guides all the decisions you make. Yeah, so if you're Emirates, you don't want to be represented as Ryanair. I mean, they're both in the same absolutely. They're yeah. both in the same yeah. industry, but they're both both, both, both totally different brands, um, and obviously they're both very successful for different reasons. So, okay, we well, are talking about vision. That's important. I think it, there's a couple of things that you, you usually there. There's kind of a vision, a tone of voice, logo usage, colors, typography. You know, this is all very important stuff. But I think quite often, you know, with with clients that we deal with and uh, in the industry, when I look at other people's guidelines, most of the emphasis is on stuff that's based around print collateral or maybe some kind of PowerPoint decks is kind of as far as they go for with, with regards to digital. What do you think is lacking? I've seen some beautiful examples of digital guidelines recently that kind of, to me, show, you know, what's missing. Those guidelines can cover things like motion. Uh, for example, motion is a big part of how you interact with a, a digital brand because you can add these kind of um, micro interactions to your interface and often that can communicate a lot of the personality. So again, we talked about the vision, you might have a certain vision in mind and that vision can be delivered through even the very simple motion of certain things. Mm -hmm. So again, if you're a conservative premium brand, you might move in a certain way versus a a colorful, vibrant one. Um, So certainly motion is missing. Um, But also I think even the elements you mentioned, even typography, often isn't given very much consideration online because uh, often an old-fashioned view of type online where you have to use the system fonts and, mm-hmm. you know, or you're, you might, okay, here's our brand typeface, but we use Arial online. Like, um, that's such a, <laughs> a cop-out. Whenever yeah. I see that, I'm just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think we're, we've reached a point now where you can use web fonts. So that means that whatever choices you make for the print version of your brand, you can you can bring them, you can do that online as well. Yeah. Um, colors as well, like um, you know, they very very often there's a big emphasis on you know 
print reproduction, Pantones, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but you might find that certain colors work well online and certain ones don't. And mm -hmm. there's often a lot of choices around what those colors mean in, 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 in the context of an interface. Uh, the elements that you mentioned carry over into your online guidelines too, but they're just very often not considered enough. Mm -hmm. Or like you said, it's an afterthought as well. Like, yeah. yeah. And if you've got a digital product that that users are are dealing with, and that's their that's their interaction with your brand, um, I think quite often translating print related color and typography into interface design is is not just a one to one kind of no. Uh, no. transcription. The companies who specialize in branding as well don't specialize in interface design. There they are very different disciplines within the design uh, industry. Interface design will be something that we'd be specialists at. Um, and as such, we generally kind of inform our clients and help help bring them on in that regard when we're dealing with them. Um, when it comes to interface design, I think quite often uh, color, the use of color can get out of hand. You know, I think if you're if you're dealing with dashboards and um, information where there's different states, you've got to consider you know the red, amber, green states and how they you know interact or contrast with the brand colors that you're using as well. So I think generally when we're designing something, I, I personally always try to limit the use of color. If we can have one key uh, primary call to action, that's great. You know, if you can, if you need to add in secondary colors, try and mute them so there's an obvious um, kind of hierarchy or uh, affordance between what's a primary call to action, what's a secondary call to action. No, but that is interesting because I think that it's, that is the kind of fundamental difference between, say, an interface and uh, you know an ad in a bus stop. You don't have to use the ad, you know, you need to use the interface. And in that sense, you have to be a bit more restrained with the colors and the choices you make because someone has to use it. If it's this colorful mess, it's kind of un unusable. I think Instagram is a great example. Um, they've made certain decisions about their interface that mean the interface itself takes a backseat to the content. And by content, I mean the photos that users take because they're very colorful, they're like, you know, they're photos of the real world, they've got their own kind of character, often there's a lot of filters on them. Um, so they've deliberately made their interface very uh, Spartan almost, mm -hmm. to kind of allow the content or the user-generated content to take center stage. And that's almost like the decision you might see in a gallery, you know, where the mm -hmm. museum or the gallery itself is very much in the background and they're trying to put the artwork itself on the stage. And that's the kind of decision that Instagram have made in terms of their interface. They want it to be functional, but there in the background and mm -hmm. not taking too much prominence over the, the pictures that people take. Yeah. I think that, that black and white approach is something that you'd see quite often in the world of fashion. You know, you, you look at websites and their, their branding on the, on the website or the application is of, of often just a single monochromatic you know, black and white colors because it's allowing the the clothing or whatever that is to, to stand out because generally that's kind of vibrant so you don't want to be your branding your when i say branding i mean your like your logo and your use of color to be uh interacting too much with the with with the with the content which is images so what does this all mean well i think i think one of the things that's lacking in guidelines and style guides um is the digital consideration all the other stuff like color and typography of course but also the interactive patterns that are used the sense of motion as you're saying you know it is how does that does that convey your brand um and i suppose as people are different different agencies and different people within your team are creating things you don't want them reinventing the wheel so from a business point of view it just makes sense so i think we're both agreed that digital side of guidelines definitely need some work uh, yeah get your brand guidelines sorted is basically what i'm trying to say <laughs>
<laughs> okay, thanks very much, Patrick.